Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, here's what's coming up on this edition. She's an actress who has been seen in a number of faith-based films. Her husband is a co-founder of a Christian entertainment company, and Andrea Logan White shared some elements of her story with me recently. You'll be hearing from her ahead. Plus, Melissa Spolstro wrote a book a couple of years ago about changing a parent's approach to raising children. Now in her most recent work, she offers some principles regarding the Christmas season. Find out more coming up. Also, some encouragement from Mark Nation. He's a leadership speaker and trainer and provides some motivation for people to recognize the unique talents with which God has gifted to them. And on this edition of The Intersection, she's gained quite a following through her YouTube videos related to various elements surrounding style. You'll be hearing from Chelsea Crockett with comments on incorporating God's viewpoint on beauty into a woman's life. Also with a preview of the upcoming hearing before the U.S. Supreme Court on December 5th of the case involving a Colorado cake baker who declined to provide a wedding cake to celebrate a gay marriage ceremony, it's Bruce House Connect to focus on the family. Finally, from the High Impact Leadership Coalition and the Reconciled Church, you'll hear from Harry Jackson. He was a speaker the first weekend of December in a special event called Healing for Charlottesville. I caught up with him prior to that event, and you'll hear some of his comments. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Andrea Logan White has been seen in a number of faith-oriented films, including Do You Believe and Mom's Night Out. She is the wife of the founder of Pure Flix, David A.R. White, and she has written a book entitled Perfectly Unfinished, Finding Beauty in the Midst of Brokenness. I spoke with Andrea recently. Here's some material from that conversation. I moved up to L.A. with $350 in my bank account and my green Isuzu Amigo and had no idea how I was going to make ends meet, but I knew I was supporting myself. And so um, the the crowd that I was around happened to do jobs. They're like, oh, you know, this is how everybody pays their rent. And certain things and um it was it was things that i definitely had to go and and learn and learn the hard way but um i worked many jobs and felt very unsupported and depleted but i had a dream in my heart and i always wanted to be an actress and so i think my heart now is to help anybody that's pursuing this is to to stop them from and really find a support system that some that you know encouraging friends that can kind of help you and keep you accountable and um, not fall into the the crazy crowd that I fell into. You were sharing about some of your experiences having moved to L.A. This took place, as I understand it, in the 1990s. In the year 2000, there was a major shift in your life that took place. You became a Christian at that time. Talk about what led up to that acceptance of Christ as your Savior. Well, I think I was I was um, <laughs> tired of feeling lost and, and confused and just trying to make sense of everything and trying to stay out here to pursue my dream. And, um, you know, multiple auditions and, and trying to book a job where you can actually support yourself. And I came to the end of myself, and I just um, left an audition, and I really kind of lost my sense of purpose. And, and I cried out, and I said, God, if you're real and you are who you say you are, then, then you know, I, lo- I don't know why I'm here. I- I've lost my will to live. I don't know what I'm doing. I have no direction. And um, this was through, it's, it's, it's my stoplight moment. So that story is in the book, but, but God literally meets me through a man in a stoplight and uh, starts my conversion of 
of uh, getting saved and, and walking with him. But, you know, I just really, I got tired of, of feeling lost and confused and afraid. Um, and I feel like God is always there. He's always planting seeds. It's just, a, it's up to us to surrender that and to continue to seek him. Well, you've written this book called Perfectly Unfinished. Tell me what inspired that particular title. It's that title is something I feel like I've been searching for my entire life because I've lived my whole life through the lens of perfection, even from little on, not knowing why I felt never felt good enough, smart enough, pretty enough. I mean, there's always people around you that are better at something, you know, when, when you're growing up and I didn't have that foundation of knowing that, that we were, you know, we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. I didn't, I didn't know that. And I just constantly felt like I was less than, less than, excuse me, and invisible. And so um, I got saved. I had a radical conversion coming to Christ. Uh, You know, I went from partying at the Playboy Mansion to like turtlenecks and going to church and being in a Bible study. So, I mean, God radically saved me. And, um, and I was in the word, I would get up at 5am and read the word. And so it was really incredible what, what he did with my life. But, you know, living through that lens of perfection, I felt like I could never be right with God and um, still trying to, to figure it out and make sense of it. But having all of these struggles and questioning my salvation and, and life is hard, whether you're a believer or whether you're not. But I just carry this guilt of thinking like, what, what am I doing wrong? Because the, the eating disorders that I had struggled with had came, they came back with a vengeance. And this is after I was, um, you know, going to church in Bible study, I got married to a to, to a lovely man who loves and serves God. And we were doing all the right things, but I was struggling inside. And so, you know, our, our minds need to be renewed. And the only way we can do that is the word of God. And it's taken me years. And, you know, it's something that I feel like we will never be finished until the day that we meet Jesus, but the perfect one, the Holy spirit lives inside of us and it's up to him to perfect us and to shine through us. And sometimes he shines through us in the darkest, deepest places where we really uh, feel like a failure, but those are the moments where God has the glory. And um, yeah, I, I, I feel a responsibility to share it with, with people that are struggling. Andrea Logan White here on The Intersection. You can learn more by visiting the website andrealoganwhite.com. The Intersection continues now with Melissa Spolstra. She is the author of a new book entitled Total Christmas Makeover, 31 Devotions to Celebrate with Purpose. In our recent conversation, she discussed the book and some of the principles she relates regarding a family rethinking its approach to celebrating Christmas. Here now is Melissa Spolstra. I think when it comes to making any kind of a change in our lives, many times what we need is a place to start and a tractor on. So that was my heart behind the Total Family Makeover, saying that, you know, it's not that anything in there is rocket science or some new secret that we don't already know, but hey, here's a place to start if you want to see some changes in your family to set some spiritual rhythms there. And then here are some practical ideas and some steps that you can walk through. Those are the eight practical um, ideas for making disciples at home, uh, hitting concepts like how to model prayer and how to do prayer with your kids, how to study the Bible on your own, but then how to pass that down to the next generation. And then taking that same concept when it comes to mentoring, serving, church community, rest, giving, and sharing our faith with others. How did you really develop these these concepts that you wanted to really communicate 
to readers during the Christmas season? Well, actually, it came out of my study of the Book of Numbers. I've also written four women's Bible studies, the kind of the DVD teaching and curriculum that goes with those. And my latest one was on Numbers, Learning Contentment in a Culture of More. And as I was studying Numbers, I just came across these biblical celebrations, Day of Atonement, Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover, these types of things. And while we don't have a biblical mandate on how we are to celebrate Christmas, I noticed in Numbers that God is all about celebration and about having holidays, holy days, that we set aside to remember who he is and what he's done. And, I mean, he commanded it pretty, like, if you didn't celebrate the way that you were supposed to, you were cut off from the community. I mean, he was, it was serious. And, again, we have a lot of liberty when it comes to celebrating Christmas. It's not something biblically mandated. Uh, but it is an opportunity, much like the biblical celebrations in the Old Testament, to remember God. And so it kind of what stood out to me were these three things, rituals, relationships, and rest. So I kind of took those three things that stood out to me from biblical celebration in the Old Testament and said, okay, how can we apply these things to a very busy, very commercialized holiday season that sometimes gets away from its original intent, which is celebrating mm. Christ. And Melissa, let me ask you to dig a little bit deeper on these three different elements, these components that you saw while studying the book of Numbers, rituals, relationships, and rests. Talk about what you saw as you studied these different elements and how they can be applied to our, our Christmas celebrations. Sure. Uh, rituals. You know, they would say, God would say, hey, eat this different food to remember that you had to leave Egypt, you know, before the bread could rise, eat the unleavened bread or eat the bitter herbs to remember what slavery was like. Um, so that those are rituals. They're changing up the food, changing up the gatherings that they had, changing up uh, things that they set over their door post and that, that type of thing. And so in the same way, I think we can say when it comes to Christmas, you know, we're going to put up decorations and we can go, wow, why do we decorate with a tree? Well, Jesus died on, on the cross. That's, he was born, and that's what we're celebrating, but he was born to die. Or looking at the lights that we put on our tree and saying, you know, Christ is the light of the world. Or, you know, so just making some of those spiritual connections to say, and, and the total Christmas makeover concept is not add 20 more things to your already overflowing to-do list. Mm. It's saying, take those things that you're already doing. If you're baking cookies and sweet things, say, you know, oh, I'll taste and see that the Lord is good and, and God's message is sweet because he loves us. And so we're going to make sweet things to remember him. Even gifts, which is, you know, gone crazy in our commercialized society, but we can rein that back in and say, God sent the greatest gift in his son, Jesus, and the wise men brought gifts to Jesus. And we can kind of the total Christmas makeover is about rediscovering the rituals we have and just asking ourselves some good questions. Why do we do this? Mm. How does this honor the Lord? You know, is there anything you want to add to your list or some things maybe that you want to take off your list of rituals that you're doing to try to remember who God is and what he's done? Because that's what I see as his heart behind every ritual is do this so that you will remember me. So that's kind of the rituals piece of it. So I, the, the first 10 devotions of the book go through different Christmas rituals and give some practical ideas to say, how can we rein this back in? How can we rediscover the meaning behind 
what it is that we're doing. Melissa Spolstra here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website, melissaspolstra.com. The Intersection podcast continues now with Mark Nation. He is founder and president of Nation Leadership and the Made for Amazing Project. In our recent conversation, he discussed the concept of and principles included in the book Made for Amazing, an instrumental journey of authentic leadership transformation. Here now from that conversation, it's Mark Nation. You hear lots of people talk about things being a God thing, and and for me, this truly was. I mean, I, I had ideas and teachable moments and concepts that I'd share with people um, kind of in a ramshackle fashion and a miscellaneous set of notes, if you will. Um, and I didn't know how to pull it together. And oddly enough, um, a friend of mine asked, have you ever thought about telling, telling, um, sharing some of these things in the form of a story versus just telling people like you might do from a podium? And I hadn't, and I've never written fiction. I'm not even that big a fan of fiction. I'm a nonfiction business leadership kind of guy. And so um, the next day, I was driving to a conference in Nashville, oddly enough, the Music City, and, and I just started playing with this idea of, could you use music as a metaphor to talk about leadership, life, and personal spiritual transformation? And that entire drive, I, I, I had note upon note and thought upon thought on all the ways that you could trace the connection and the way you could sort of check the sound of your life um, that related to music. And so by the end of that drive, thank, thank God I survived it. Um, I, I had notes that became an outline for the book. And the next day, I, I had most of the chapters drafted up. And within eight or ten weeks, the thing was done. Set up the story. What, uh, what are some of the elements of the plot in Made for Amazing? Um. You know, it's it's about a, a gentleman named Joshua Link, and he's um, the premise of the story is that that each of us has has a song to sing to the world, and and it's the essence of who we really really are. But but the problem is most of us have no way to tune into that melody that's ours, our unique one of a kind sound, and we have hints of it all around us each and every day, even from our childhood. But it's often drowned out by the routine of, of our daily existence of constant trade-offs, of busyness and noise. So the question I, I wanted to pose is, couldn't there be some way to discover our song and develop it, then share it more purposefully in a way that, that inspires other people? And so Josh Link um, is this incredibly talented singer, songwriter, guitarist, but, but um, he doesn't really believe in himself. And his father left him at a, at a young age, and that left his grandfather to serve as his his um, sort of surrogate father and a source of wisdom in the story. And what we find as we trace Josh's life over time is that he's constantly sort of purposing in between building his strengths career-wise, which for him is all about performing and writing, and trying to balance that with his family and his faith, which is really wobbly, honestly. Um but there's, there's an underpinning, a foundation of spiritual truths that his grandfather had placed in him from his youth. And so he, he's constantly sort of trying to trace this journey between success and significance, following his career, and following his heart, trying to believe what's happening all around him 
and figure out what's really happening inside him. Um, and that's sort of the beginnings of how the story plays out. Mark Nation here on The Intersection. Find out more at nationleadership.com or marknation.net. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through the website meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection Podcast. Also, through that homepage, you can subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Video content is accessible also. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Well, Chelsea Crockett is host of her own popular YouTube channel, She talked with me recently about how she integrates her faith in Christ into her media presentations and shared content relative to the book, Your Own Beautiful, Advice and Inspiration from Chelsea Crockett. Here now is Chelsea Crockett. I never did videos about my faith until I was about 16, 17 years old, probably more so around 17 years old, and I enjoyed uh, you know, the makeup sense and lifestyle videos uh, all the way up and until then. And I still continue to enjoy all that sort of stuff. Uh, but it didn't really click in my head to share my faith until around then when I had a personal experience with uh, just how Jesus became real in my life. And uh, I went to this event called D Now, and it's a discipleship program for Uh, teenagers, and I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it, but it just completely changed my life. And so I wanted to share that on my YouTube channel. And so I did, and uh, I just got, you know, positive and negative responses, and the positives really outweighed the negative, and so I continued to share it. And I just continued to do that ever since. And I sprinkle in my faith content with my lifestyle content, my fun videos. So I try to draw in the people who aren't Christians as well as the Christian people and try to encourage them in their faith as well. It makes sense, Chelsea, when we think about the number of people that have connected with you through your YouTube channel. Now you have a book. Tell me what inspired you to actually put some of your ideas and experiences in book form. Well, I wanted to write a book in general because I've gotten so many questions over the years from girls through DMs or tweets, you know, comments on YouTube about just really deep topics. And I've responded to them individually through comments, and I felt like I could never really get out the message to all these people, and I wanted to. And so... I wanted to write a book about it, and this book covers so many different topics from anxiety and depression to friendships to dating and, you know, love advice. Not that I'm an expert or anything. I just received a lot of advice from married couples and all that sort of stuff, of course, scripture and everything. So I just wanted to formulate all the advice that I've received and all the sort of wisdom that I've picked up from scripture and put it in one place 
so that all those people who have asked me questions and wanted wisdom uh, can get it in book form. Well, obviously, as the title implies, your own beautiful, there's an aspect of of beauty and also, as I understand it, of self-worth, value, image, things of that sort. Wanted you to share really how your your faith walk, your walk with Christ, actually shapes the way that you view the the whole area of of beauty. Yes, of course. So, I mean, I feel like this world has beauty so twisted because I think whenever other people hear the word beautiful, you know, of course, our mind gravitates towards the outward appearance. Uh, and we always have that negative voice on on the inside of our head that says, you know, we're not worthy enough, we're not capable enough, um, we're just not enough in general. And then, of course, we have the world from the outside telling us who we are and who we're not. But we read in Scripture of who we are and that we're treasured and that we're loved, and it's just, it's completely different than all these voices that we have just sitting right in front of us telling us that we're not enough. And so I wanted to just pour out that wisdom that I've read over the years and I continue to read and just compare it to all these lies. And I just wanted to silence those lies with truth and just redefine beauty because it's so wrong um, based off of what all the, the lies that we see every single day say that we are. So I'm really passionate about the message of your own beautiful. And I'm so, so thankful that I got to write it. Chelsea Crockett here on the intersection. You can find out more by visiting the website, ChelseaCrockett.com. Well, Bruce House Connect is judicial analyst for Focus on the Family. He talked with me recently about the Masterpiece Cakes case set to go before the U.S. Supreme Court. Oral arguments scheduled for December the 5th. The case involves a baker from Colorado named Jack Phillips who declined to provide a cake for a gay wedding celebration. Here now with some analysis is Bruce House Connect. In 2012, uh, marriage was still reserved for one man and one woman. Uh, this particular homosexual couple uh, got married in Massachusetts and was going to come back to Colorado to celebrate. That's when they walked into Jack's store in Lakewood, Colorado, and asked for a wedding cake, and he politely declined. So that's where this all started from, and they they uh, took him to the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, which is basically a, a an organization of uh, biased individuals <laughs> who uh, all but called him a Nazi and a slaveholder for his religious beliefs. Uh, that that he claimed justify uh, turning down this wedding cake. So he got uh, denied by the Colorado Court of Appeals. The the Colorado Supreme Court wouldn't even take the case, and he asked the U.S. Supreme Court to hear the First Amendment issues involved under the U.S. Constitution. They agreed to hear that case, and it's coming right up on December 5th. And and for by some measure of God's grace, I managed a ticket to get into that courtroom. Oh my goodness! On December fifth, that's that is awesome. Well, this is very key, and and it's interesting. I, you know, Jack Phillips, a Christian man, he said that he would not bake the cake for this gay couple because of his deeply held 
religious beliefs. Now, this couple, obviously, they there were other cake bakeries in Denver, I would imagine, that they could have gone to. But it seems like they were, or, or those aligned with them, wanted to make an example out of Jack. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And, and as we've seen in every other wedding vendor case from around the country, whether it's a florist in Washington State or graphic designers in Arizona, videographers in Minneapolis, you name it, uh, it's whenever there's, uh, whenever anyone turns down a request uh, having to do with uh, gay rights, gay marriage, they're immediately uh, uh, charged with discrimination because the activists on the LGBT side uh, are, are calling this a zero-sum game in which if they lose even one vendor, then they've lost the entire uh, battle for their dignity. And that's how come... Uh, people like Jack get dragged into court, even though um, the the baker down the street was very willing and able to provide the wedding cake for free uh, for that particular uh, wedding celebration. There was a development, and I wanted to get your take to see to what extent this may play into the case, but there was a... A statement issued by the Justice Department or an action just several months ago that actually said that baking a cake is a form of expression. He can't be forced to use his creativity, his talents for something that he doesn't adhere to. So how key is that and how could that possibly play into this case? Yes, two things about that. Yes, it's hugely important that the U.S. government came down on the side of Jack and his free speech and freedom of religion rights. As you remember from the wedding case, when when the Obama administration was in charge of the Justice Department, they all but abandoned any defense of traditional marriage and uh, came down on the side of same-sex marriage. And so it's it's interesting that given the change in the uh, the administration in Washington, the Justice Department has gone back 180 degrees and and is now in support of the people that are being oppressed because of that same-sex marriage decision. The other thing I would say is um, we talk about wedding cakes and things like that, but it's really not about cakes. Um, it is about, as the Justice Department is saying, it's about speech and whether the government can compel speech in the form of of, of an artistic creation that's meant to convey a message contrary to the artist's uh, perspective, point of view, and desire. Uh, if you were asked as an uh, African-American photographer to come to a, a KKK rally and take photographs, you would never show up, you would never come, you would say, no, thank you very much. Um, and no one in this country would disrespect you for exercising those rights of conscience. However, we've come to the point in this country where Christians can't have any rights of conscience without someone saying that, oh, they're just trying to force their religion on us, and that's contrary to the First Amendment, too. And so we have this deal where Christians have become second-class citizens with regard to the First Amendment. So it's, it's wonderful that the Justice Department has come down on the side of Jack Phillips in this case. Bruce House Connect here on The Intersection. The Focus on the Family website is focusonthefamily.com. Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Harry Jackson, Senior Pastor of Hope Christian Church in the Washington, D.C. area, Chairman of the High Impact Leadership Coalition, and co-founder of the Reconciled Church Movement. He discussed with me some issues surrounding race relations 
and his involvement in the Healing for Charlottesville event in Virginia on December 2nd. Here now is Harry Jackson. Virginia, the state of, was a place where some of our first settlers came and slaves, I believe, were uh, a part of the company that came in 1619 to the shores of America. There's a prayer of dedication of the land to God at that moment. But we have not dealt with the foundational issues of race, racism, and I'm going to call it a combination of greed that led to chattel slavery and all the torturous ramifications thereof, and the soul pain, the heart pain of many African Americans, Native Americans over the last 400 years. So I believe God is really causing us to return. I talked to the people in Charlottesville just today, and one of the things that Dr. Mark Belisles, one of the local organizers of this Healing for Charlotte movement, said is that he is seeing now a coming together uh, of the community that may have never happened if there hadn't been violence in August and that God is working all things together for good. And uh, I believe this, is a, this event is an opportunity for the clergy to come together. They're planning a year, have already planned a year of activities where they will address um, certain gaps in the educational system. They're going to address uh, gaps relationally within the church. They're going to address problems with criminal justice, and they're going to march as a leadership community through the year, arm in arm, and it's significant that a white evangelical leader, Dr. Mark Belisles, is right there at the helm saying, we are not going to let Charlottesville or America remain divided. What do you see as, as perhaps the keys to, to healing and understanding, addressing these racial issues from a biblical perspective? I, I think to go back to uh, the teachings of Paul, who says there's neither male or female, Jew or Greek, and there is no bond or free. So gender distinctions, tribal or race distinctions, and economic distinctions in Christ, Paul taught the early church that we should be one. In the early church, Paul, a prisoner from a lower class oppressed people called the Jews, actually had free men who were listening to him in the church uh, that he uh, started in Caesar's palace. And so we have to understand that Christianity from its exception, inception unified people who were different and had natural animosity toward each other. That being said, I, I think that we are the only ones, the church as a community, 
who has the capacity to bring the American um, government, communities, businesses, houses of worship, and families together. And I think as we lead the way with how you alleviate class problems, which was his for, how you alleviate, as we said, gender issues in terms of opportunities, access for women in the marketplace. Uh, I think we're poised. We just have to really understand that if we don't do it, <clears throat> the world is going to be tribal. Jesus said that in the last days, nation will rise up against nation, and the Greek word for nation is the word ethnos, from which we get ethnicity. And so Jesus said, aside from the church, ethnic tension will increase worldwide. Harry Jackson here on The Intersection. You can learn more about The Reconciled Church by going to thereconcilechurch.org. Well, that just about wraps up this edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. You could also go to the programming section at faithradio.org. And in that section, you'll see a link to The Meeting House as well as The Media Center. You could also reach The Media Center and other areas of content relative to The Meeting House through meetinghouseonline.info and that homepage. In fact, both of those instructions taking you to the same place. You can also get connected to content from The Meeting House program by downloading the Faith Radio app. It's available for four different platforms for iPhone and iPad, Android, Amazon, and Microsoft devices. Learn more at faithradio.org. Also, when you visit the Meeting House homepage, you can find links through which you can listen to, download, or subscribe to the Intersection podcast. That includes iTunes. Also, you can get connected to the Download Center. There are two blogs accessible. You can also follow me on social media and get connected to video content. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info. You can also go to faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.